0: Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, Hypor Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and Pigequipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources.
1: Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. We're joined by Todd Heisterkamp with Crystal Spring, talk about the founding story of Crystal Spring. And this is going to be fun. I'm excited. You guys travel <laughs> as much as almost anybody I know. And yeah. I'm really uh, excited to talk about not only that founding story, but the international dynamics and market landscape, well, sustainability and feed conversion rates around labor. And so um, yeah. to jump off, Can you introduce yourself, your background? You've been on this before, so it's been a while, but a brief introduction and your background would be awesome. Sure.
2: Uh, Well, thanks for having me, Matthew. It's always a great opportunity to talk to you and and always a lot of fun. So, um, As far as uh, my background, uh, I was raised in Iowa to a farm family. I was not raised actually on a farm. My father uh, farmed for the first part of he and my mother's marriage and by the time i came around they had uh gone on a different career path um however a lot of uncles both grandfathers uh farmed so it seems like you know uh during the weekends and summer months we were always doing something whether it's baling hay or helping shuck corn or or those type of things um uh as far as related to pigs i had one one of my uncles uh was a pig farmer early on out in the out in the yard and I often remember uh, staying on the farm and listening to the those big old round uh, feeders flopping at night. You know, as the pigs stuck their head in and ate them, so ate food. So, uh, some of my fond memories as a kid growing up on the uh, is listening to those as a hot summer night. So, anyway, um, uh, I. Looking at a career or what the future of my career would be, didn't really want to have anything to do with farming. I watched my family struggle through the 70s and the 80s through the farm crisis. And so I took a different pathway, got a a degree in management, uh, spent most of my career in sales. Um, uh, About 20 years ago, started a little over 20 years ago, got into manufacturing and office furniture. And then the opportunity came. Um, about 17, 18 years ago to get into the agriculture industry um, through selling equipment and with Valco. And I I, uh, decided that a new career path, a new uh, area of the industries would would be of interest. So that's how I got started in. Um, Then in 2011 is when I joined uh, GrowMaster as a general manager who was the distributor for Crystal Spring hog equipment in the United States, uh, South America into Europe. Um, so that's, that's how I got started in the crystal spring. Um, it was the predominant, uh, products that we sold. The feeders were the predominant products that we sold. So that's how I got in up over my head and, and, uh, and I have enjoyed it. It's been a learning experience. You know, as you said, we, we not, only just selling to Canada and to the United States, but but worldwide. And so I spent a lot of time on a plane, uh, traveling around the world visiting visiting pig farmers. So,
1: so what is that history of Crystal Spring, um, and what made you make that career change to get involved? Yeah, yeah. well, uh, uh, Crystal Spring actually the the
2: the DNA of Crystal Spring is a is a Hutterite colony in St. Agathe. Uh, Manitoba, Canada, just south of Winnipeg, a half hour or so. And um, as a lot of Hutterite communities, they they were agriculture based, so row cropped and and then raised a variety of of animal uh, farm animals and and pig. They had a pig farm um, and the the guy at that time that was the manager of the pig farm, I, I, I don't know his official role, but Jonathan Kleinsaucer, and tried to figure out a better way uh, to feed pigs and began to develop this concept of the wet dry shelf uh, box feeder. And um, so I think I tried multiple renditions, you know, multiple uh, people to manufacture. They had a small uh, uh, metal shop at that time and through those first feeders that I think Jonathan says that he had somebody make for him, they fell apart. So they figured they, they could figure out a better way to manufacture a, and this concept of the wet dry feeding. So that was in the you know, late 70s, early 80s. I think probably uh, by the mid-1980s, uh, Jonathan got connected with uh, Marvin Wastel from GrowMaster. Uh, GrowMaster was a feed formulation company Marvin is a a, a, a as his doctorate in nu- nutrition and he and Jonathan met on a by happen stance and Jonathan entered said hey I'd like you to take a look at this feeder or what you think you know and so Marvin liked the idea and and together they they started developing this wet dry feeder shell feeder concept and proving it out so not just bending a piece of metal and selling it to feed pigs but hey, what were the advantages? What are the advantages? And so they started testing. They started doing testing and research right away. So, you know, we've been, that's really kind of in our DNA. And, uh, you know, the feeder itself hasn't changed significantly, um, in those 40 years, I think there's been incremental improvements that have made in, in wet dry feeding, but, but, you know, since I joined, you know, 12, 13 years ago, uh, with Crystal Spring, um, it's really been focused on uh, how do we get better management. You know, the incremental improvements become in, into management. So, I think that's really where we've uh, we've grown from a company standpoint. Um, you know, first sold them in Canada and the United States in the late '90s, early 2000. We ventured into Chile and Mexico, and then from that point on, it's just been particularly in America, it, as um, the various pig industries in those countries in, in, in Latin America um, began to technify, you know, pigs moving from the yard into, into an animal confinement. Uh, they started looking to the United States and Canada to figure out, hey, how can we do this? Uh, how can we build our industry? And so that really uh, gave us a springboard into and to uh, continuing to learn how to how to better feed pigs. So,
1: so when you think about this business, it is global mm-hmm. in a big way. And I'd like to understand a little bit more about the inter- international dynamics at play right now, what you're learning while you're bouncing from continent to continent. Before we get there, I'd like to hear from you, Mr. World Traveler. <laughs> what is your best or worst travel story related to the pig oh, industry?
2: Oh, that's really that's the best <laughs> or worst travel story. Uh, uh, probably my best travel story, and, and I'm not just saying this, uh, this is really the truth, is, is going to Brazil. In, the, in 2015, we um, started a subsidiary for Crystal Spring Hog Equipment um, to manufacture feeders for the Brazilian market. Uh, that was probably a the, the biggest learning leap that we we did because uh, not only in making a subsidiary and manufacturing and all those things to keep the you know quality um, and and making certain that we had the trusted partners, but but uh, the challenge some of our own value propositions because the Brazilian market, although we seem to think it was the same, it, it really wasn't. There was uh, really focus on on um, on feed efficiency was the was their biggest pain point so that was all interesting but that doesn't um it, it pales to the fact that that's where I met my my Brazilian wife Natalia and and it most of the time you see us together as we travel worldwide which is which is nice because it's it's nice to be able to travel together and have these experiences together and and the, the fortunate thing is, or for me, as I'm an English only guy, Midwestern guy in the United States. So never really had the opportunity to really learn another language. Um, my wife, on the other hand, is a linguist. And so I think I think she speaks pretty good at five different languages. We're, Holy cow. She's learning. She's learning uh, uh, Italian right now. <laughs> so So anyway, but yeah, so that's. That's probably the biggest, the greatest experience is having, uh, having found my wife in in this, and and being able to be in the business together. It's 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 great. So
1: that's awesome. So I got some rapid fire questions I've been asking people lately, okay. and I'm going to have quite okay. the uh, quite the dictionary of answers here. Oh, but great. What is your you go to university that you root for? Um. Well,
2: I, I went to the university. Uh, The one university in Iowa that you go to get an education, that's the University of Northern Iowa. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Albeit, I I suppose at the end of the day, uh, Iowa or Iowa State, um, you know, I was raised in Western Iowa, so Nebraska, we just didn't really, you know, even though I live in Omaha now, it's, it's, you know, um, but I I kind of feel sorry for Nebraska now. But, you know, I suppose... (laughs) The the, the go to is 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 uh, Iowa, I would guess. I have an America Needs Farmer sticker on my vehicle, so I suppose that's makes me an Ohio, a Hawkeye fan. So
1: there we go, there we go. Now I was asked by somebody recently. They're like, so what do you guys think about like Nebraska? Like, wh- where is there? You guys, you guys still hate Nebraska? And I'm like, no, no. Honestly, I think everyone at this point just feels bad for Nebraska.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it, there's always rough. hope. It, it has, it, you know, when you have the greatness that they've had when I was a kid, you know, that's probably why, why I, I didn't like them because they were always so great, you know, for the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, you know, um, now it's now I, I hope they do well. I, I, it, it's, it's hard living in Omaha, um, you know, because that's all we get. And, and I got relatives that are Nebraska fans and, you know, I want them, I want them to succeed in life and to be happy.
1: So you, uh, you get to Vietnam, Thailand, Brazil, you get to a lot of places with a lot of personality. And so this next one, there's gotta be an answer to what is your go-to karaoke song?
2: Oh, uh, don't, you know, it's been a long time since we've sang karaoke. (laughs) We always, we all, my wife, my wife's a singer. So we always said, if we ever had to get pushed to, uh, Sing a karaoke song. We karaoke song, um, probably Mockingbird, but you know, <laughs> we, we would have to do something like that. Although uh, she's she's famous in it in Brazil for singing Come Together, because uh, you know the Brazilians always at the trade shows always have some sort of rock band playing, and and they inevitably get her on the stage and she sings Come Together, you know, so. The the Beatles, the Beatles version, not the Aerosmith.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What What actor or actress is your favorite, or you can't stand?
0: Um.
2: I I, oh, that's a great question. I I like a lot of different actors. I suppose I have to go back to when I was ten or twelve. When Stallone came out with Rocky Balboa, probably the mo- the earliest movie that I remember, like, oh my gosh, that was so awesome the the Rocky movie. So I would have to say Stallone uh, has a special place in my heart. You know, so uh, um, yeah. Okay. So I yeah, let's say Sylvester Stallone.
1: What's your go to beer?
2: Uh, that's a good question too. Controversial we, uh,
1: question nowadays. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Said it's a controversial question now. It yes. is, yeah, yeah. Today, yeah, no, I um,
2: uh, we if we have the one beer that we have in our refrigerator today is Peroni. It's in the, you know, the Italian. there you go. It's not a light beer, but uh, it's not as heavy as as some of the others. So.
1: I think that's three in a row where I've got Corona as the answer. So you're not alone. No, Peroni,
2: not Corona. Peroni. Peroni, the the Italian beer. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, Dos Equis is always a good, good one to go to too. But, you know, I'm not a Corona fan. Yeah. And, and, and never, never been a Bud Light guy. So, you know, so it's, (laughs) you know,
1: (laughs) the controversy doesn't affect me. There you go. So, when we look at international dynamics right now, can you speak to some of the things that are really just firing off the hip when you yeah. are traveling? Cause I mean, you've been to a lot of places in the last five months and you're on yeah. the front row for most of this. Yeah. It, the, I think the,
2: the biggest challenge worldwide um, is really tight between between everybody's looking at feed efficiency, uh, you know, cost of feed is uh, maybe not in Northwest Iowa, you know, when you can walk outside the pig barn and see a, a cornfield or or a, or a soybean field. But, um, you know, feed efficiency as we travel around the world is, is critical. And right along with that is labor. Labor is a challenge, you know, uh, world worldwide e- even in those developing um, markets that um you know we would maybe consider labor uh cheaper than here in in North America but um still it's a concern it's it's a big concern everybody everybody wants to be more efficient in all aspects in the barn whether that's in feed or in, in um the day-to-day tasks that has to happen you know so we spend a lot of time ta- talking about a lot of time talking about that, you know. Uh, you know, as well, obviously, animal welfare. You know, we just came back from from Spain. Animal welfare is is uh, you know a, a big conversation there. So you know, um, again, it's, just yeah. I, there's it's it's pretty common worldwide. I guess those issues is my point. Is it you know it it's, it's the big things.
1: And then and you went to Eurotier in November, um VIV in February, and Figon in uh in March, right? Yep. Or yep.
2: April, March, April. April, yeah. Um, they all kind of blur together now. So
1: what were your key takeaways from each of those? And that might be stretching it all the way back to Eurotier because you've done a lot since then, but what were some yeah. of the key takeaways?
2: Yeah, the the interesting thing um for for us in our booth. at Eurotier is the most common language that was spoken was Spanish, you know, so, so uh, we had a lot of Latin American um, customers that, that attended. And of course, in, in Europe, Spain um, is, has been growing pretty significantly over the last several years. In fact, we we just came back from the NPPC alliance meeting in Des Moines that we've had in the last couple of days and and our China's uh twenty twenty, twenty-five percent of the of the pork that they're buying worldwide comes out of Spain. So uh, I found that really interesting that and you know, in what's that been almost five, six months that we were at Eurotier, that 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 Spanish was the 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 most common language um, spoken, which, you know, indicates those areas that were um, the growth and the development in, in the industry are, are happening worldwide.
1: Yeah, and you could really see that there was a huge drop off in the German, um, Dutch, Danish attendance. And yep. there were even some key vendors from those countries that didn't show up.
2: Yeah, that's so, right. Uh, yep. Yeah, so interesting. It's an interesting um, uh, dynamic in Europe on how their how that market is going to develop Um, in the future. We'll see how they, you know, the German, the particularly the German uh, industry is really, really hurting. You know, just profitability is really hard. And then you throw uh, African swine fever into the mix. It's you know, it's just really hard to, to feel good about the industry if you're if you're a German producer, so
1: and there's already heavy government subsidization or subsidizing going on there. And so if they're already having a hard time with profitability after already getting assistance, they're kind of at the mercies of the powers that that be. So that would yep. be a tough situation to be in. Yeah. What about, absolutely? what about VIV? I have never been to that. Abraham was there and he said that yep. was just insane.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for us, um, you know, we've been in the Philippines for uh, uh, selling feeders in the Philippines for, you know, 20 years or so, too. And so the the whole Southeast Asia is is uh, a, a market for us that, you know, we we want to always get more opportunity there. Uh, we've only um, exhibited at VIV Asia, I, I believe this is the third or fourth time, um that that we've uh, exhibited there as Crystal Spring, we've always had a been there with our, one of our distributor partners, but um, now it's you know as as a full brand. Um, Talked to a lot of a lot of different customers from from uh, again the Philippines, Japan, uh, Taiwan was kind of interesting too. We had a couple of of uh, people in Taiwan that are looking to um, to you know continue to expand their their industry and their pork production um, so yeah I, I think Asia is is uh, again with that with a lot of people uh, you know we've we've got to feed a lot of people and you know the pig uh, pork is is one of the uh, fastest growing proteins that we have worldwide that we can feed a lot of people with and and uh, plus again that's the historical diet. Of of Asia with a pork based diet, so I think there's opportunity. We're we're still going to uh, keep pushing there. In fact, as I, in a few weeks here, I'm going to be traveling to the Philippines to go visit some customers. So, um, you know, hopefully, uh, we'll continue to grow that market too as it continues to grow. So,
1: what are some of the things that U.S. producers or our industry as a whole can learn from what you've you've seen or experienced in other continents?
2: Well, yeah, uh, I think from from our standpoint is you know what is what does the feeder of the future look like? You know, yeah. I, I, you know it hasn't, as I said earlier, it hasn't changed significantly in the last forty years. I mean, you know we've we've developed some incremental technologies uh, to help uh, from the mechanics of the feeder, but most of our focus has been uh, understanding management, uh, understanding labor what are the labor challenges and then and then what do we need to do from our our recommendations for feeder management to get the to become most efficient to get the best gain best feed intake um, and and at the same time having having a sustainability um, perspective on what that looks like within within what's the market going to do in the next 5 10 20 years so
1: yeah so and we've we seen look
2: growth at, we' we've seen growth uh and I'm sorry to interrupt but we, we've seen good. growth in even market weights I mean, if you look back twenty years ago, what the market weights were uh compared yeah. to today, and that's and that's not just in North America but worldwide we're seeing increasing market weights so
1: so with that, we also factor in labor shortages and People say in other countries there aren't labor, sh- labor shortages, but everyone's trying to become more efficient with labor right now because right. it's right. a management nightmare, even if you can get everybody. How does feed conversion rates factor into that?
2: Yeah. I, I, world, worldwide, I think it's, it's all about cost. I mean, feed is, uh, is what, up to 80% of the cost of raising a pig. And so, um, particularly in those areas that may not have uh, easy access to, to, uh, to feed, feed stuffs. And so, um, everybody is looking to, you know, how can we become more efficient in the feed? Um, keeping the pig on the feed curve based on the genetics. And I think those are the things that that we've been talking a lot about lately is as it, as it relates to our feeder, you know, we've just, uh, our value proposition over the years has been, Hey, we can grow a a pig and hit the market weight fast. And uh, that's important, but at the same time, uh, we need to understand and make certain that we're doing that uh, efficiently. And so a lot of the research that we've done in the last four or five years have been, have been focused on that as as how do we make certain that the our feeders are working most efficiently from the labor standpoint and from and from the feedstuff standpoint you know really i think ultimately what we'd like to get to is is make a feeder that uh, we could put a pig in one end of the barn at at uh you know a small pig and it comes out at a market weight on the other end of the barn without a lot of human interaction, you know. Ultimately, that's what we're going to get to. Can we get there? Probably not. But, but again, I think that's that's of the things that drive us. Those are the things that drive us. Uh, keep asking questions. Keep asking. You know, how do we make it better? So,
1: so how do feed conversion rates internationally compared to what we see here in the U.S. and Canada? Yeah, that's
2: uh, the U.S. and Canada. In fact, I just saw a statistic. Within the last few months, that the U.S. and Canada rank the lowest on feed conversion rates, and I think it's because of of access to feed. Uh, you know, it, it's pretty easy for us. You know, as I said, I mean, you walk out of any pig barn in Iowa and look around, you're going to see corn and soybeans. And I think abundance has has allowed us to be uh, focused on other things. Yeah. I, I don't want to say that we're not. We're not being smart because, again, I mean, if within those things that are in abundance, it allows us to focus on some of the other things and develop technologies that answer some of the other challenges. Um, it's however, a cool else- opportunity,
1: though, right? I mean, if we know we're that far behind, that should, at least for most people, appear as a huge opportunity where we're not, we're not maxing out the system, right? There's so much more that we can still be doing.
2: Yeah, that that's exactly right. I think there is um as we look at these other uh problems that we're solving, um you know, I think we still can say hey, the rest of the world is it has a challenge with feed efficiency and and uh and we can we can look for ways to improve that, you know. Um you know, that's their that's their biggest pain point. It's not necessarily a big pain point for us until Corn goes up to seven eight bucks a bushel, and then it becomes a you know becomes a focus. but I think again as we as we continue on and and we're hearing and I'm hearing more and more as we we talk to other um, uh, genetics companies and and nutrition companies um, we're we're collaborating together um, hey what do we what do we need to be doing? what's your goal as a genetics company what's your goal as as a nutrition company? and and how does our how does equipment fit into that and I think that's where the uh you know worldwide as we, we we see the same vendors at all the same shows and we become pretty good friends and there's always an opportunity to have a have a, a have a uh, a dinner or or a beer and just talk about hey what what's going on in your world and and we learn a lot from each other and I think those are the things that continue to to, to develop in the and I think we'll develop even more and more in the future. So
1: what are a couple of the things over the past 10, 15 years that have changed that have really shocked you that really surprised you that you would have thought there's no way.
2: Yeah, that's it. Um, I I would probably say how quickly it, even in my time um, in the back in or in the industry, uh, how, uh, and you mentioned it earlier, how global it's become, you know, it, it is, it is, it, it, it's amazing. You know, it, it shocked me. Uh, you know, I, I figured, you know, the United States and Canada, we've been, we've been, uh, I want to say we, the the, the word is that, that I hear a lot is technified. You know, we've been technified for almost 50 years and, and a lot of these uh, developing industries, uh, country industries, um, you know, it's been 10 years, maybe yeah. maybe 15 years. And so I think that's what's Probably been pretty shocking to me is how quickly, um, you know, that this industry in that short amount of time, and and it could be awareness too, but uh, uh, on my part, that uh, it's becoming more and more global and more and more intricate of uh, the uh, how closely related. I often say, you know, the farmers that I talk to, man, they're all the same. They may speak a different language, but they are all the same. They they care about their animals, you know. They they, they want to make certain that they're raising healthy animals or doing it responsibly. Um, they may speak Spanish. They may speak Portuguese. They may speak Canadian English, you know, but they're all the same. And no matter where they are out in the world, I think that's uh, uh, that's probably the reason why it's, it's become so global, you know, so quickly. So,
1: yeah, it is. That is very true. No matter where you are in the world. They talk about what they do yep. very, very similarly. Yep. It's yeah. It's a passionate it's, conversation, and it is. it is.
2: Farmers are farmers. It's great. Farmers and, are farmers. and, you know, I mean, c- coming, you know, having that in, in just my genetics DNA from coming from an ag cult, you know, multi-generational ag family, it's, it's really interesting, you know. So um, they are all the same.
1: I don't think our fathers or grandparents, great grandparents, would have ever imagined how similar they were to the farmer on the other side of the world.
2: I, I agree with that. My grandfather would have never thought that. Uh, he would have never understood that. You know, so um, I, I, it's a privilege for me to get to have that realization. You know, to get the privilege to to uh, to understand that farmers are farmers, no matter where they're at. So.
1: so when you think about the next ten years, what do you think? from what you've seen globally, is going to come to the U.S. or Canada that a lot of people today would say, no way.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think the first in, in is what we talked about, is the, the feed efficiency thing. Okay. And, and pr- probably not so much cost-driven um, uh, like it is within the rest of the world, but more from sustainability you know everywhere i everywhere i go every conference we participate in the conversation surrounding uh sustainability is part of that conversation so i think you know um we have to do more with less you know we i live here in omaha and we're building data centers google and facebook and amazon and every one of those are they're building a new facility uh, just outside that that's like 500 acres you know Five hundred acres of farmland that was ten years ago five years ago was farmland now it's not farmland anymore, yeah, and so we have to do more with less um and so I think that's where in the United States where we, we have to continue to figure out is how do we do more with less and and uh and feed efficiency is i think is going i think it's going to be the next the next thing. King, right. It, it, as it relates to sustainability, not cost. I think that's the that's the thing that may be more shocking is is know everybody else is just because it's cost. It costs a lot to feed a pig. And uh, if you're in Chile, you know. Yeah. Um, but but in Iowa, like I said, it's a different story. So.
1: No, that's awesome. So we are going to be focusing on some of the things that you guys are doing around sustainability and all the research around that in a later yep. podcast. But yep. could you give a teaser to some of the things that you've been been doing at a high level with various groups to study how you are having an impact on sustainability? Yeah,
2: we, we just, we just looked at, uh, during the pandemic, we did a, a, uh, a study with Pipestone applied research and, uh, there's was a, a few things that we looked at. Um, you know, we've always done research based on live weights. Um, uh, one of the things that we, we were interested in is, okay, what does that mean from a carcass weight? You know? So yeah. if we grow a big pig and you don't have much value at the end, you know, uh, when, when it, when it goes to slaughter, what, what advantage does it give? You know? So, so not only did we look at live weight performance uh we looked at carcass weight and then within that we looked at the caloric conversion kind of going back to this to this uh uh sustainability you know feed efficiency is okay what's the actual uh, caloric conversion of the um of uh, the benefits of in-wet dry feeding so so that was pretty interesting those were pretty positive results um ultimately as it relates to overall sustainability then the other thing we looked at was water, uh, the water usage or water disappearance you know historically you know we've we've did some some small studies that we were like 30 35 uh, percent less water disappearance but this is the first time we actually in a in a research protocol said we're gonna we're gonna measure for this and it came out to be over over almost 54 percent difference um water disappearance excuse me between oh, wow. a wet, dry feeder and a dry feeder i mean that's that's huge I mean, we were that's shocked i mean we were shocked and we because we had all our story was always a third less water now it's it's 50 percent you mean, were
1: just shocked you were you were pumped uh,
2: yeah well <laughs> it, yeah again it, it, it was exciting for us because we did that in, in a in a couple of ways that you know the the old tests that we did were over 10 years ago well we improved our management improved our management uh recommendations uh you know we've we've come out with a new wet dry feeder nipple that that is the first one that's designed for a wet dry feeder to to reduce water wastage and make certain that the pig had the right amount of water at the various phases of growth so um again i think those were the things that was shocking but it all relates back to continuing the message of sustainability i mean we've always had a longevity of feeder i mean the brand is known for a a a high quality feeder in fact you know it's it's not uncommon for us to be talking to a a farmer that bought feeders in the 90s you know and uh so you know if you don't have to throw away stainless steel if you don't have to throw away steel, that's you know so that's always kind of been a sustainable message i guess we have we haven't really framed it that way it's more from a from a quality standpoint, but if you have a throwaway equipment that's only good for five to eight years, you know, that's not sustainable, you
1: know? Yeah. High quality is sustainable.
2: Right. So again, I think, um, you know, that, that continuing that message of, and, and the conversation around uh, sustainability, we're going to continue to push forward on that and begin to understand that better, you know? So.
1: So to wrap things up, ask a fun question, a couple of fun questions. Okay. What's something unique about you that most people in the industry do not know?
2: Um, I was, when I ran track, I, I ran half miles and I'm a pretty thick guy today. And most people would not say that I was a runner like that. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I, you know, It was a a half mile or or eight hundred meter. I guess I started. I'm at the age where I started running half miles, and by the time I was done, it was eight hundred meters. But uh, uh, most people didn't realize that I was, you know, they they understood I played American football because of my broad (laughs) shoulders and my size, but not that I I could run pretty fast. So
1: (laughs) that's awesome. And then in your travels, what's the craziest thing you've ever eaten? Um. I've eaten a lot of buds. Yeah? You know,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, had some larvae in Mexico. Uh, I almost ate a scorpion in China. Um, but, and it was wiggling way too much that I decided <laughs> I wasn't going to do it. The the guy put it on the end of a stick and it was wiggling. And I was like, ah, I think I'm going to pass on that. But I wish I would have now. I mean, hindsight, you know, I wish I would have. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anybody that's eaten a scorpion. I mean, no,
1: that would have been pretty awesome, or we wouldn't have been here to hear about it. But,
2: <laughs> well, it was a little one. So, uh, you know,
1: that's awesome. But thank you for being a guest on the Popular Pig podcast and telling us about what you've been learning and what you've been doing. Um, exactly. It's always great to have you on, and we really appreciate it.
2: Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Matthew.